Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking. Is this the booth drafting the circuits? Three-way theater or the Kevin Jackson show? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kinda lost track myself here on Hoobazoo.com. So, do you feel lucky, punk? Oscar Mike Radio. Come in. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Sinister One, this is Oscar Mike. I have Ulima Charlie over. Folks, today is Thursday, April 13th, episode 39 of Oscar Mike Radio. This is your host from the City of Champions, that City of Champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. This is Travis, a.k.a. P-Dog, on mission, on the move for veterans. And we're going to start with what we only start with, which is the question of the week. And I have been asked about... The situation in Syria. What do I think about that? Where President Trump fired missiles into Syria from a ship. And I'll be honest, I, I don't really know. And the reason I don't know is while he is firing missiles, I'm still trying to figure out where President Obama's red line is. So I can't know everything about everything, and this is one issue I have to look into more. But since the question was asked, I will do some due diligence. I will do some research and try to figure out a, a layman's way of saying what's going on because I think it's important. Now, in the school that I went to growing up, you had to have congressional approval before you uh, rained steel on a sovereign nation. It was kind of important. But... Um, Neither President Obama nor President Trump have had congressional approval for some of the actions they have taken. So, long story short is, I'm not sure what the ands, ifs, or buts are for this. And that is the question of the week. Okay, that was the question of the week, and now we're going to move on to the word. And as we've talked about before, the word in the military flows from top to bottom, past orally, information all around. And the word is how knowledge is spread. And I try to spread some knowledge or some understanding with this section of the podcast. Thank you very much. And this week, I'm going to go back a ways to World War II about a movie that uh, I watched and then read more about called The Fighting Sullivans. And I've watched a lot of war movies in my time. Some good, some great, some horrible you know, just bad. But this one really sticks in my mind because it's not a war about blood and guts and angst. 
other things that might confuse people about why they are in the theater of operations they are in. This movie's not about that at all, but it leaves a feeling, a, a mark on, on me. And it's at the very end when they say all five that it really hits me what was required from this family. So let's start from the beginning. It's the 1930s. This movie opens up, and um, there's these uh, family in the Midwest. And just before I get going here, this movie is based on an actual family called the Sullivans and the five brothers that served and, and their background and stories. So this, this is real, and, and this occurrence affected policy for what we're trying to do here. So Depression-era family in the Midwest. Mom stays at home. Dad goes and works a job. They live in a house. They, they do their thing. They're growing up. The movie shows their brothers fighting and, you know, sailing a, a leaky boat with a family dog on the, on the river. And they get older and they get more scraps. And they're just tight. Their brothers go everywhere together. They do everything together. And uh, the younger brother, the youngest brother, finds this cute little gal. And, you know, they fall in love and they get married and, he falls in hard times, and his brothers bail him out, and they have a sister who kind of keeps him in line. So there's there's the five brothers and the one sister and mom and dad, and there's some very cute stories behind that. And then Pearl Harbor happens, and they're all listening on the radio. And, and keep in mind, the thing that really gets me about this whole movie is how different the United States was back in that era. There was no microwave. The stove was wood fired. They they had to you know get bring wood in, light a, a wood fire in a wood stove in the kitchen and do the cooking that way. There were no microwaves. There were no TVs or or i whatevers, you know Samsung. This is it was straight analog before analog. You know no fuel injection. You know there there's a motorcycle race and it's the old motorcycles with all the carburation and they're not wearing helmets and, and it was just a very different time back then. So they're all around the, the radio and radios were like TVs back then. They were these big huge things and families gathered around them to stay in touch with current events, news, so on and so forth. And they hear about Pearl Harbor and, and right then and there in the movie and in real life, the brothers decided right then and there that they were going to join and serve their country. And I think, again, you know, when you look at some of the, the people today who are these brothers' ages, and they were between the ages of 19 and, you know, 26 when they went into the Navy, you know, would every person in that age range jumped to sign up to serve the country. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of kids did for Afghanistan, Iraq. But all five of them went. And the youngest one left his wife and his young son there behind to go serve with his brothers. And they go down to the Navy recruiting office. And the Naval recruiter says, hey, you guys are going to you know, go here, go there, go everywhere. And they say, no, we're, we're going to serve together. 
And this was kind of one of the important parts of the movie because there was an unspoken rule at that time where they didn't like family members serving together because of the possibility that they all could be killed and pretty much snuff out the family line. But the brothers petitioned the Secretary of Navy to be allowed to serve together to, so they all could serve at the same time. And they got uh, accepted. They went to basic and then were stationed on the USS Juneau. And they were involved in, you know, that whole Guadalcanal campaign and the USS Juneau. And they were serving. And there's several pictures of them serving together on the same ship on the USS Juneau. Uh, it was a very unique situation because while families certainly, you know, contributed to the war effort back then, they were unique in the fact that all five brothers of that family line were on the same ship in the same service doing the same thing. So it, it was unique. So on November 13, 1942, a Japanese submarine hits the USS Juneau. And they're trying to make it back to a safe area where they could you know, offload the wounded tried to repair the ship and tow the ship to get it repaired, and then was hit later that same day and went down. And all five brothers were serving on that ship at the same time. And it was several days or weeks before the family figured out what was going on and heard from them. The letters had stopped from the boys, so they knew something was going on. They figured it first. They were just in a bad situation, mail took a long time, they're halfway across the world, but as time went on, they knew something was going on. And this is where the movie, which had been really, you know, very folksy, very touchy-feely and, and warm, for me, turned on, on, on the two words. And the captain goes to the house to see the family and tell them the bad news. And he's telling the family that there is something that happened. And the father goes, well, you know, well, actually there's a mother that goes, you know, well, what happened? And, you know, who got, who got killed? And the captain goes, no, um, all, all five got killed on this, uh, on this ship. And the father gets this blank stare and, and just goes, all five. All five. Now, I'm a father, and, and I have sons, and, and I, I can't fathom losing one, but I, I could not empathize with how it would feel to lose all five of my sons at, at one time like that, and not be there to, to try to protect them. And again, you know, it was a movie, and it, it, it was kind of dramatically done, but according to the historians, that's what actually happened. He, he said all five, and he really did get in his um, coat and jacket on and go to work. He had never missed a day of work in 34 years. He, he wasn't going to start now, and that's what he did. And so that family 
paid a, a significant price to protect our freedom. Now, I, I've served and others have served. I, I've lost friends. I've never lost a family member, but I, I think there's something we can learn by watching this story on the movie. And if, if you see it on Netflix or Turner Classic Movies or Amazon Prime, you know, watch it. It's about two hours long, and, and you will get an appreciation for how we were as a country back then, and you'll get an appreciation for some of the other things that uh, we had to go through as Americans. So that's where, you know, we're at. That's how the movie ends with all five being gone. And then the last scene is very cool. Well, I don't know if cool is the right word, but they commissioned a new warship and had the family christen it, and it was christened the Sullivans. And it's the only time in the Navy history at that time where, you know, a ship had been been christened with a family name, or more than one person had been represented by being named. You know, it wasn't like the Eisenhower or the Enterprise. The Sullivans, the USS the Sullivans, was named for all five of these men who lost their lives. And the youngest brother was 20, and the oldest brother was 27. And they have lived on throughout time because there was, there was another ship that was, was christened the Sullivans after this other one had gotten retired. And again, it's a very um, heart-wrenching, heartwarming story. It, it, it gives you a glimpse into how our country was back then. There is a museum in Waterloo, Iowa, and the family was from the Waterloo, Iowa area. The sister, Genevieve, joined the Navy after her brother's, uh, you know, passed. The youngest son joined the Navy, and so they began a, a naval tradition. And so, you know, we got Memorial Day coming up. We have some other things going on, and again, I would encourage you to you know, check this out. Understand, you know, what sacrifice really is. Because again, as a father of three myself, I, I cannot fathom in my mind what it would be like to lose all my sons at one time. And that is the word of the week. Okay, Pogue and Grunt have weighed in this week with a complaint, which means they're happy. And this week's complaint comes from Pogue. And Pogue is worried that there are no Air Force movies coming out. He sees Army movies and Zero Dark Thirty and Lone Survivor and, you know, other movies. But he's like, the, the Air Force movie-wise is just not getting any love. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, man, the last Air Force movie I remembered that was really any kind of cool even though it was completely bogus, was Iron Eagle. He's like, yeah. But, you know, in Desert Storm, we had the F-117, and they never made a movie about those. We had the F-22 Raptor. There's no movie coming out about that. 
I mean, those are cool planes. Even the B-52, as old as it is, you know, we should have some Air Force movies. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you want to start a campaign to, you know, petition for some Air Force movies and, and, and make yourself, you know, more air dominant in the movie scene, you know, start a campaign. I, I won't do that. I said, you'd rather just complain, wouldn't you? He's like, yep. But that's his complaint. He wants Air Force movies and he wants them now. So I don't know if, if you hear this and you know somebody in Hollywood, uh, look me up and I'll get you in touch with uh, Pogue about this. And again, Pogue stands for a person other than grunt. So my unit shout out this week is kind of a different shout out. This shout out, <laughs> yeah, it's different. I got this from Fox News the other day about a guy from, you know, a little south of Chicago area named Christopher Garza. And he was arrested. Forget this. He was arrested for doing nearly 160 miles an hour in his Dodge Challenger Hellcat. Now, for those of you who don't know, that is like a muscle car that's muscles have muscles. It's only designed to do one thing, and that is go very, very fast all the time. And he was on a toll road in Indiana, and about 1 a.m. Uh, last week, he decided to open this thing up, and the Indiana State Troopers got him. Now, I have utmost respect for law enforcement and people who are law enforcement officers, and I don't advocate in breaking the law. However, when I heard why he did what he did, I'm like, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I can definitely see that happening. And, and this is why Chris Garza has no regrets about what he did. He had a, a veteran friend of his that had um, just came home. He was wounded, just gained on convalescing. He was really kind of down out. And he thought a fast ride would cheer him up. So they got in the car and they went for a joy ride. And he decided to open this thing up and put a smile on this guy's face. Now, when you think of all the things you can do to cheer yourself up, whether it's chemical-based or alcohol-based or, you know, certain types of female entertainment-based or food-based, if you think about all the things that you can do that are bad for you, and realize this guy said, you know what, I've got my, my car, I'm happy to have my car, I can take this super-fast car anywhere I want to go, and I'm going to take my buddy on a ride he will never forget. That's pretty special to me. Now, yes, was he breaking the law? Sure. Should he have done it? Probably not. But he did it anyway. He could care less. And even though his car was impounded and he spent the night in jail and his insurance is going to go sky high and he had to pay the impound fee to get it back and he could get fired from his job, he has no regrets. And, and I don't know about you, but in, in a day and age where people just, you know, sometimes will not go out of their way 
to help their fellow man. I am absolutely stoked that uh, this guy gave his friend, a wounded veteran, an experience he will never forget. When they're putting Chris Garza in the ground one day, people will still remember that. He didn't have to, but he took his friend out for a ride, paid the price for what he did, and had no regrets. And that, to me, is being savage. So that is uh, my unit shout-out from uh, Oscar Mike Radio this week. And that's not to mean that I advocate uh, speeding on highways at that kind of speed. However, if you get the opportunity, I'm not going to blame you for taking it. So this week's uh, upcoming event is actually next week, and I am giving this out to the um, Manchester Vets Center in Manchester, New Hampshire. And on Friday, April 21st, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., they are presenting a documentary called The Invisible War. And Oscar and Emmy-nominated filmmaker Kirby Dick is, is, is going to be, well, I don't know if he'll be there or not, but uh, they're going to present this uh, investigative documentary about the, the problem of rape of soldiers within the U.S. military and the problems that, that these service members face when they report it and some of the stats around it and why it's a problem, why it matters, and what can be done about it. They're quoting statistics that one in 100 men and one in four women will be sexually assaulted in the military each year based on VA statistics, which is pretty mind-boggling that out of every uh, four women, one of them is going to experience this. That's, that's pretty sad, actually, and, and shouldn't be allowed. Um, I'd like to think that uh, men in the military are better than that. The, those are our sisters serving along with us, not objects to be used and abused. And so if you are interested in going, you should RSVP by April 18th to Merlane Filkins, and her phone number is 603-668-7060, space is limited. And if you want some more information, please email me, Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com. That is The Invisible War, Friday, April 21st from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Manchester Vest Center and that's at 1461 Hooksett Road, Hooksett, New Hampshire. So we are getting into the Memorial Day month in the next month here very soon. I have a lot of good things coming up for Oscar Mike Radio. Lots of support. Lots of people who have things going on in their corner of the world that they want to talk about and share. Closing on episode 52, which is, uh, will mark one year. And thank you for all your support. So if you have any questions for me, you can get me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat even, uh, Oscar Mike Radio. You can email me, Travis at OscarMikeRadio.com. 
check out my website, which is, again, OscarMikeRadio.com, and I'll be happy to get back to you. And this wouldn't be possible without you all listening and supporting me and giving me ideas and encouragement. So again, from the City of Champions, I want to say thanks. This is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio, out. Oscar Mike Radio, over and out. Oscar Mike Radio, do you copy? Since the one actual, I have you five by five. Anchors away, my boys, anchors away. Farewell to college joys, we sail at break of day. Our last night, a short drink to the poem until we Oscar Mike Radio is in route. Copy that, Sinister One. Coming at you from the City of Champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio, veteran in action, on the move, on mission, always. Protectors of